Exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. We're back again for another episode of No Driving Gloves. How's your week's been, Will and Derek? Well, I've had a really busy week. Uh, we have our uh, NSRE open house going on Saturday, so just a lot of uh, straightening, cleaning. Just getting everything ready to go along with our normal work week. So you mean pretty... you mean yesterday as this releases on Sunday night, Monday morning? Yeah, it was yesterday. Sorry, guys, y'all missed it. Um, but it, yeah, it was great. Will and I hung out for a few hours. We we talked, we chatted, we interviewed some of his people. Hopefully, we can bring some of those to you in a couple of weeks on the podcast. That's right. So there you go. That was my week. And Derek? that was his future week. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I was unable to make Will's open house, um, so I missed all the fun. But busy weeks, uh, busy weeks behind me and ahead of me. So just doing the normal stuff, work, uh, collections, management stuff, all the fun stuff you get to do in museums, and doing doing my work here at home on some of the cars, doing some side work for some people I know on some of their early cars. Eh, it just all kind of rolls into one long year that disappears and nobody knows where it went. Ain't that the truth. The older you get, the faster they go by. But you, you do doing the side work out of uh, probably the missing of wrenching on, on a car or are you just doing the side work because uh, the side works? I guess because the side works there and there's, it turns out not, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people in Bowling Green working on early cars from what I've heard. Not a lot of guys in this area are really digging into working on the really early stuff, getting their hands dirty with it. I guess it's one of those things where I kind of miss working on the early stuff, even though I have some here at home that I work on. I don't get to do it every day at work, so maybe adding a little more of it is uh, going to make make me have a better time doing things. I don't know. We, we ha- oh. It presented itself. <laughs> I accepted it. I don't know. Well, you know, I can, I can totally see a lot of non-early car people in Bowling Green. I mean, you have Holly, and, you know, that's all about modernizing and making your car faster and stop better and all that stuff so that that town is not it's known for more hot rods than anything really and and corvettes but no no 750 cfm downdraft for your 25 chevrolet pickup right (laughs) that's that's right maybe for wills but not for mine I would say we have somebody at work that would kind of go with, because I'm going to make the announcement right now. You heard it here first. Derek is opening up an antique car repair business in Bowling Green. You can look him up at nodrivinggloves.com, and he'd be happy to give you an estimate and fit you into his very busy schedule. And he, um, he doesn't work by the hour. It's by the job. Flat rate gives you a quote. <laughs> He can't guarantee the time, but he can guarantee the money. 
Oh, Lord. My suggestion, buy the car when you're young. I'll have it ready for you when you look old enough to drive it. There you go. How's that? And, of course, I've been busy at work, too, getting ready. We're having a few people over at work for a party here in a week or two. A couple thousand one day, a couple ten thousand the next day, a couple ten thousand the next day. So, like I said, I, I intended to be up at Will's a day or two ago. Unfortunately, we were recording it before his event, but should be exciting, hanging out with a few people, and I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to bring a recorder, and I'm going to hijack his, uh, his open house. See what kind of uh, stuff he's up to, what he's drawing, what he's styling, and Will was a little bit, I'd say, tardy to the recording tonight. But you know, he checked in about eight o two, and typically we don't start until half hour later, even though we're supposed to start at eight. And Derek and I were discussing styling of automobiles, and it just kind of opened up this. Well, let's let's tell the full story. We were trying to make Will Will feel bad because he was late, so we were trying to make him feel like we were already recording a show. Yes, and then we, you know, forgot, as Will told us the story why he was late, that he's a heartless shop owner, and he didn't really care. That's right. I got here when I could get here. And we feel privileged for having you tonight. The only reason I was late is because my mic wouldn't come on. Come on. Derek used the same excuse five minutes before you. Okay, well, <laughs> note it. But remember, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> to be on time is to be late, and to be early is to be on time. Says the guy who's twenty minutes late every week. I gotta buy a refrigerator. I gotta be, buy a refrigerator. That would, that would be Derek twenty minutes late every week, not Will. Well, since you know, this, this is actually a pretty good show, all of us bickering and stuff, and talking about classic classic cars and classic arguments. We've finally gotten to that point in our relationship, guys, where the honeymoon phase is over and uh, let the bickering and fighting begin. Like any healthy relationship. That's right. I don't know if I've ever really had a healthy relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're probably right, John. I think you're probably closer. You're probably closer to your cigars than anything else. <laughs> and smoking is definitely not healthy. So you know, you're probably right. No comment. <laughs> but obviously, we now know the one person in the whole entire United States that does not listen to this. Uh, or listen to us, and that's the person in the house right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, f fortunately, seeing we're talking about healthy relationships, any of our exes, because, you know, I mean, like, they're going to listen. No comment on that either. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about ex-wives? Because um, I'm good in that department. Unlike uh, ex-girlfriend. Unlike some other people in this podcast. I'm going to bet money that I have an ex-girlfriend that listens and I have an ex-wife that listens. So, but, but I don't have a current girlfriend that listens. But there was a, there was a certain characteristic I was looking for in the current relationship I'm in, and that's one reason is she's not as diehard of a car person as 
in my previous relationships. Yep. And speak. Sometimes you can have too much of a good. I was going to say, and speaking of relationships and where we were going to try to make this conversation go tonight, is that's talking about curves and bulges and styling and smoothness and the sexiness of car design over the era and ages. How things have went along. I thought you thought you was talking about a woman there for a minute. Is there a difference other than? I mean, well, the cars are just as expensive. If you buy a brand new one, they take half of everything you invested into them. So. Yeah, okay. They, whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not, I'm not getting involved in this. Uh, we have, we have some female listeners. I'm sure they are fantastic people, and they are car lovers as much as we are. And I'm not getting into that because they'd probably say the same thing about guys and the cars they own they'd probably say the the bad thing about it the guys are actually worse than girls when it comes to some of that stuff <laughs> I, i'm not going to take blame on this one let's just go ahead and talk about uh how did we even get onto that topic Derek? you were asking me my feelings on the what was it the oh i just threw out the first thing that came to mind and i was talking about the audi air audi r8 in my opinion, the best buy of a Lamborghini Gallardo you can get if you buy the V10 R8. You know, it's <laughs> you know, it's just a good-looking car. It's a decent car. For some reason, they seem to be more reliable than the Gallardo, at least those that I know with R8 V10s and Gallardos are the guys that used to own Gallardos. And, and I think with the redesign, isn't the Huracan uh, version of the, the current R8? I can't remember. But I think we were talking, and somehow I, I took it, and you said R8, and I stuck with the BMW i8 styling and took it, you know, just changed, changed the letter. And we talked, it's a problem with foreign cars, and I think one reason we might like American cars is they use all these numbers, and they repeat all of the numbers, because one of the good-looking BMWs of the past that you brought up was the 328. And we're not talking the 328 from 1988. We're talking the 328 from, what, 1932, 33, was it? Yeah, I, they ran through the 30s. I think they went up even 39, maybe. I, I don't know that they did them in the early 40s, but I'm pretty sure they went into the late 30s. Yeah, I can't say I've ever seen a, a 40s, because by then you're in World War II, and they were done by the end of wor World War II. So I would say 38 might be as late as you could get on one of those without turning on a computer and double-checking. I'm going to say the model run was like 32 to 38. Please correct me if I'm wrong. And considering that, I believe BMW has always been a styling force in the automotive industry. When we, you know, reflecting back on that, the 328, and every 20 years they seem to come out with an iconic design that does influence the cars around it. Because you go the 328 from the 30s, you go 20 years later, you have the 507, which then became the Z8 in the 90s. And 20 years after the 502, you go to the 2002, which kind of really, if you get into it, began that sport compact uh, sedan enjoyment stuff world worldwide, especially in America, and really helped the BMW brand in America. 20 more years, the uh, 
the E30 M3s and that series of cars, which have just in the last two or three years have doubled and tripled in price and become popular. 20 years after that, I'm a big fan of Chris Bangle and the restyling he did to the big BMWs, the 7 Series. It was so controversial and basically cost him his job with BMW, and it, finally he left the automotive industry. But when you sit back and you look at a Mercedes S550, a Toyota Camry, some of the new Chryslers, they all have that tail that he, he put on the BMW. Even the BMWs still carry it to an extent. It's been softened over the years. He he made it very radical, but it's softened, and that styling has been influential across you know many makes and designs, and it's just a way the design is carried through over the years. I'm going to throw back the question I couldn't answer that you kind you know you asked me, Derek, what current car might influence you, or do you think reflect sort of timeless styling, but keeping it into the American genre? The Europeans do it, the Japanese stuff. I was behind one of the new Civic Type R's today, and I just can't get into all the wings and spoilers and the tack-on stuff, which you know Ferrari's done a nice job of hiding all the arrow so it's a nice smooth car and Honda's went the opposite direction but keeping it in American is there anything out there that jumps it out at either one of you two well I'm going to say this I am not a fan probably will get hate emails and hate comments on Facebook but I am not a fan of the American retro styling that became big early to I'll give it early 2000s, I'll call it, with the kind of retro styling of the Ford Mustang, and then you see the retro styling of the, in the Dodge lineup of cars, and then bringing back the retro Camaro with General Motors. I'm not a big fan of it. I I just, eh, I don't think it pulls off the look, should be the look of modern day. I I just, I don't think the lines work very well. I like some of the more, I don't want to use the term futuristic, but modernistic possibly look of some of the sharper lines. And it's all personal taste, obviously. Some of the Lincoln lineup that's being done has some fantastic styling. The Cadillac, Cadillac. The new Continental is just a, f- a fabulous design when you get up close, and it has a presence to it, and when you see it, you, you, you really, really have to think. You think Jaguar, you think something imposing, but it, it it's really a fairly value-priced Ford. I mean, it's 60, 70 grand, but that's a lot of car for 60 and 70 grand. Oh yeah, exactly. And Cadillac CTS ATS lineup, I I think they're good looking cars. And I I just I don't know if I'm a fan of the retro styling. Uh, I never I never was a fan of the retro styling. We, uh, we guess we can say Dodge kind of brought it back when they did the drop fender pickup trucks in ninety four. Yeah, ninety four was the first year yeah, of that. They and they they've carried that on through. But it really started to go crazy in the late 90s with the introduction of the Beetle. 
uh, then the the BMW Retro Mini, and of course we had the Retro Thunderbird at the time, and oh yes, the, yep. We had a lot of these cars, and they didn't work. And then the Mustang did it, and the Camaro the Camaro followed suit, and of course the Challengers followed suit, and the new current Mustang. I almost give a pass on it's still retro, but it's built on. They reintroduced that retro styling, and now they've built on it for three generations, and that's now what I would expect a Mustang of the two thousands or the two thousand twenties to look like. So I I can go with that. Yeah, they, they've softened it. that, but yes, yeah, I'll give it that. They've worked with what they were doing and improved it. And I, it's getting better. I guess you throw, we'll jump back, and you can throw in the even the um, Plymouth and Chrysler Prowlers. I mean, that that was the in-your-face retro, and it worked for a couple of years. But the prices on those used obviously proved they didn't stick. I guess you had the PT Cruiser, the HHR. Everybody tried it, and I understand the business case. I read a lot about the business case that it's a design there's money it works to bring a car to market you've got 600 to a billion and a half dollars in designing it and if it flops that's a 600 million billion and a half dollars that you have wasted of the manufacturer's money but you go back and build a thunderbird that everybody remembers and you've got guaranteed sales you're sure, sure to get the investment back but it's kind of like current television we have so many retro shows coming back with yeah i guess we could have a show talking about the retro shows miami vice is coming back on tv starsky and hutch is coming back on tv the greatest american heroes coming back on tv and such and what cars do we put in that magnum pi is coming back on tv we can't have an original idea and that's the the retro cars probably started it and now television has picked up Let's go with the formula that works and not try anything new. And I want really want to try stuff new. And Will sitting there quietly thinking, I don't know. I, I know what a new Chevy pickup looks like and a new Dooley does. Because <laughs> I, I want my 57 Chevy or I want, you know, my Model T or. But he does a very nice job of, and we'll let him expand. He takes some of the new car styling and applies it to the 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 hot rods he builds and frankly he's he's kind of good at it <laughs> <laughs> well i, I want to go back and just as far as the new cars go you know just your 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 regular cars that the average people drive they just all look the same it's like they were all designed by a computer to give you more cabin space, more trunk space, you know, less room under the hood to work on them. And they just, you know, as far as just the regular new cars, there, there's nothing out there for me that I really like. That don't mean that that's not what my wife and I drive because, you know, we pick the one we like the best. We go buy it and we drive it. And to me, as far as styling goes on a new car, to me, the new Ford GT is just the baddest thing on the road. And I, I, I'm not a big Ford fanatic. Uh, more of a Chevy guy probably than anything. But man, that, that new Ford GT is something special. Even 
even I know it. I know it don't even have a V8 in it. It's got a you know the EcoBoost V6. But man, that that car at SEMA last year just really uh, got my motor running. Uh, so that that that's as far as the new car goes. And yeah, there there's some um, you know the new new portions that's coming out. I really like uh, Alfa Romeo's got some really really cool stuff coming out that I, I enjoy looking at. Um, but other than that, that's, uh, as far as new cars go, I look at, um, as, as John was saying, I find myself looking at more things like the AC vents or the door handles, the, how they position trim, where they position trim, how the windshield wipers work, how the, the gear shifter looks. I look at more of the details of the cars than I do the overall look because they just all look the same. It's it's all in the details of what separates a new Toyota from a new Nissan or a new Chevy Impala from a, you know, whatever Ford sedan is out. I can't even remember. So anyway, that's, that's kind of my take on it. Now we look at, I think, Definitely, when I look at a car, especially a new car, I look at the entire package. I look at everything. Does it all go together? And the new Ford GT is a good example of what I was complaining about with the Civic Type R, in that the Civic Type R has the spoiler at the top of the back window, has a spoiler on the back of it, has funky vents on the front, has funky vents on the rear, has the side skirts. The Ford GT is the new supercar aero design uh, you know ferrari's kind of copying it whoever was first was for, may have been first some of the the other exotics out there where they they channel the air through the car and use the entire car as that spoiler or wing and that that's the styling of the new ford gt that really stands out they did a nice job of paying homage to the previous ford gt which really I think Ford did a nice job in the retro department on that car because when I think of a Ford GT from the 60s, that retro car they did at 05 and 06 is what I think of. But over the years, as I've had friends that have had the 05 and 06 GTs and the new one was introduced and watching the chassis media movie, The 24-Hour War, talking about the development of the original Ford GT, it's amazing how different the Ford GT is than those 05 or 06s. Ford just did a really nice job of doing, bringing back every iconic thing that everybody remembered from each each of the models of the Ford GT, especially the Mark One, Mark Twos, reflecting it in a current car. But back to where I kind of started, when you look at a car, Will, you look at each individual piece. And that, while that's a talent I'd use when I'm restoring, I do that because, okay, I'm working on the door and I need to find everything and look at the period photos and make the door appear as it does in the photos. You need to look at those parts and see them being applied to, we've alluded to the GTR door handles on the dart you did, or the wood, you, you did a woody a few years ago where you painted, you know, it was all wood grain paint, but you had all the proper iconic styling of the wood grain and the fasteners and the way the wood met, met and the finger joints and all of that were replicated in the paint. And it's, I get complimented on the details that I pay attention to. And 
with complete props to you, Will, you're ten times <laughs> more anal about those details <laughs> than me. Well, you know, at the end of the day, that's what separates a good car from a great car uh, in, in our industry. It's all about the details. And, and the Dart, there is so many pieces on that car that came off of a late model car. Uh, you mentioned the door handles. The AC vents come out of a Jeep Liberty. The pedals come out of a 2000 and... Sorry. The pedals came out of a 2010 Challenger. Uh, the shifter came out of a, a late model Challenger. Just the 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 rubber between the the when the the door glass and the quarter glass came off of a new uh, hard top convertible Chrysler product. I think it was a maybe a 200 I can't really remember but you know there's so many pieces off that car that came off of a late model car and, and I, I I'm a firm believer if you can use an OEM part especially a late model OEM part via door latches tailgate latch hood latch anything mechanical to make your car operate you're so much ahead of the game versus using something from the aftermarket it's just a better made product a lot of research went into that product and your your hot rod is going to feel more like a late model car when you close the door or close the hood or close the trunk or pull that cable or you know hit the ignition switch it just all those little details makes uh, makes the customers happy and and it's something you can show off and, and get you know, whether it's one of the judges at a show or somebody that's picking an award, hey, check this out, you know, and that uh, that kind of goes a long way in our industry. Well, when your cars go out there, they're in a room with 10 or 12 or 20 other cars that to 98% of the population are beyond perfect. So it is that little detail, whether you chopped a half inch out of this panel change the rake one or two degrees. I believe you got a two degree rake on the roof on the dart. I can't remember the number you told me. It's, it's a one. Yeah. <laughs> one degree. <laughs> if you wanted to point that out, I wouldn't have never noticed it, but the roof line on that car is perfect and it probably wouldn't be without one degree of rake. You know, it's it, But that that one degree actually wound up being two inches on the a pillar so it was it was two inches on the a pillar and nothing at the back of the c pillar so it's a pretty good little little chunk taken out of there you know yeah and that goes to fully accentuate to a podcast listener because we don't do a video show this would be wonderful to do a walk around to the dart on video and point out all those little things now that the car has been done for two or three years and really show all of those details. We can't do that, but one degree to drive, driving down the road, eh, that's nothing. One degree over a six, eight-foot roof comes out to two inches. That's a substantial, <laughs> substantial chop. Yeah, it, it, it really was, and it made it a lot easier. We knew we wanted to shorten the car as well behind the door, so when we when we chop the top 
instead of leaning the A-pillars back farther or lengthening the roof, we just shortened the car and brought the cowl back to the roof line versus bringing the roof line back to the cowl, which to me made more of a difference than anything in that car. When you compare the the one we built to a stock dart, the where the front wheel well opening is in junction to the front bumper uh, is where the biggest difference really is in that car. It don't it don't look like it's got this huge overhang. It looks it looks like it's supposed to, in my opinion. Um, I know the diehard Mopar people don't agree with me, but it was it done two things. It allowed us to move the motor back, which gives better weight transfer, helps the car handle better all the way across the board, and it helped style style wise being able to move that front fender well opening forward four inches. In, the, in that stock fender. So it done away with the overbite and allowed us to set the motor back a little bit farther, which we set the motor back even farther. Uh, part of the supercharger is actually pretty much under the cowl on that car. You know, there were, there were performance-minded upgrades as well as stylistic-minded upgrades to that car. Say, so Derek, you've, you've been quiet. You haven't internet dropped on us for a change we've just over talked over you now no no that's all right i I wanted to listen to will uh you know my my take on all this being an early car guy and what will does what the hot rod guys do is kind of similar but I'm 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 a big fan of the coach building era and the coach builders that were out there there's there's very few full coach builders left out there doing that type of work. And I think we kind of miss some of that when we have... And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but the styling studios, you know, in-house at the, the automotive manufacturers, you know, GM's styling department, Ford's, all the different companies have them. They style their cars inside. And I almost think there's a loss of maybe some of the, the romance. And I'm sure, I'm sure the designers that work in the studios probably would dis- disagree with me completely. And no offense to any of them. I guess I just, I, I feel like there was a little bit of, there was that competitive edge between some of the coach builders back in the day of who could make the most beautiful car. And, you know, John, I think you and I know, and and Will, you might know this, you know, tidbit of history, but all these car shows, you know, the the famed Concorde Elegances that we talk about, and nowadays it's, you know, showing off your quality of restoration, whereas when the original Concours came out, they were to show off the greatest coach builders and the the beautiful cars that they were building at the time and each of them were kind of up against each other to you know who had the most beautiful bodywork and and the lines and all those things and and they're building these with you know Duesenberg would send a chassis to somebody or Peerless or one of the the big companies and their stylist you know their their design engineers 
would go to work and create these just masterpieces. And, you know, it is what led to the styling departments we have today. I mean, Harley Earl, the man who creates GM styling department in the late 20s, you know, he started working on cars and, and basically custom building bodies out in California. And that's what GM saw. And they were like, holy cow, we need to kind of bring this guy in and see what he can do. And leads to the development of the styling departments that we know today. But I almost feel like that kind of lost that challenge of independent companies trying to do some masterpiece work. And and it just became more about just kind of pushing things forward at the companies rather than really sometimes thinking about... I mean, Harley Earl did keep it going. I mean, uh, over at Ford Motor Company, they had they had brought in a guy named Franklin Hershey. Franklin Hershey had been a designer for the, you know, Murphy out in California in Pasadena, one of the early coach builders. And he went from doing some beautiful work in the 19, late 20s and early 30s on Duesenbergs and, and Peerless in the 1950s at Ford, he's the guy that designs the Thunderbird. So there was that kind of connection back, but I almost feel like now it's lost. And I don't know if that's, you know, if anybody would agree with me, but again, I'm just the old car guy that probably wishes the old cars were still around. Well, it goes back to design by, I say, post-World War II, became more evolutionary than revolutionary by by post world war 2 the major manufacturers were in play ford a gm chrysler american motors packard they still existed but they didn't have the coach building of the days before like you you talked about murphy and you know, i can't think of the other big coach builder that was bought out by gm and ford and things like that but to educate the fisher the, 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 yes fisher to educate the listeners that aren't aware, because, like I said, in the 40s, it started to become evolutionary, and these small coach builders disappeared. When you bought a Duesenberg, when you bought a Packard, when you bought a Delahaye, when you bought a lot of these big-name cars, when you bought Cadillacs, you could buy, and most of the time, you just bought a chassis. You went to Duesenberg, and you bought a motor, frame rails, wheels and tires, a steering wheel and a seat. And then you took that chassis to your coach builder and you told him to do whatever to it and cost no object most of the time. And they would each each car is individual. We've talked about the Bugatti Royales on here before and I can't uh, Derek will know the number, 7 or 8 actually built 6, six built in the Six. in the day by Bugatti. Not one of them is the same because each one of them was custom bodied by a coach builder. And it was the way the rich one upped each other. Now you, okay, you go out and buy a Bugatti Chiron with another two hundred people and wow, I got the fastest car in the world. I can go zero to two sixty two to zero in forty two seconds. But so can two hundred and ninety nine other people. And part of what Derek said is very true. If I had $3 million to spend on a car, 
I would much rather call Will and say, hey, call Art Morrison, buy me a chassis, and get your sheet metal guy and your power hammer out and build me something that nobody else has. That concept is lost, and it's just, let's get the latest exotic and see what comes next. Uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot had a song out three or four years ago. It's his claimed last studio album and had a song called Cars. And all it is is him rapping about, and all respect to Mix-a-Lot, him rapping about these you know, exotic supercars anybody can go buy. Phantom with a big gold grill, you know, the SSC supercar, you know, your AMG Mercedes, which is now a division of Mercedes-Benz. When Mix-a-Lot was rapping about his 560 SEC with a wide-body AMG in 1989, that was one of 50 cars built by an aftermarket company called AMG, which Mercedes eventually bought. And while it wasn't coach-built, it was still custom and very narrow. And it's everything in the world of cars has become this mass-produced whatever. And, you know, 300 seems to be the magic number for a low-production automobile now. And I really miss the day. Like I said, if I got $3 bucks, why not buy a chassis and then pick the motor I want to put in it? And I've got a friend, He's granted it's a replica, and he's building a car that existed in the past, but it's done to his specifications. He had a motor alteration, so the cockpit fits him. The chassis custom-built for that car. The motor and transmission fit his driving style, while the suspension's from a different model model of the same make of car. And he's going to have a very nice hand-built, you know, hand-built custom car. Granted, it's still not a one-off design, but when we were pursuing this project, he was approached with a couple of drawings from not necessarily Will Shop, but other hot rod shops in the country that say, you want to do this, how about we do this interpretation of that design? And even even this gentleman couldn't quite wrap his head around it. I'm hoping maybe his next build or the following build, we can get into a little bit more of that custom stuff. Tired of what he can buy. He can buy any car on the planet from Enzo's and LaFerrari's and, you know, whatever you want. I mean, it it's bad when he has a Ferrari for a rain car. But it's the world we live in that he's not comfortable going out on that slight edge and taking a risk on the design. Yes, there is resale. There's worrisome. You build a custom car, you better love it because somebody else or out of the six billion people on the planet, you might be the only person who likes this car. You know, touching on that coach builder subject a little bit, you know, ultimately that's that's kind of where your higher end hot rod shops are they'll they'll take in a we keep on referring to the dart um but ultimately yeah we started with a 65 dart but when that project was all said and done the only four pieces on that car that you could go take off an original dodge dart and bolt onto that car are the door hinges that is absolutely it you know, we built Willie basically a one-off car. The coach building thing, unfortunately, Derek, I'm with you. I, that's a 
freaking awesome era. I kind of wish I'd lived back why, then. Why are you saying? Why are you saying? Unfortunately, you should be. Fortunately, you're with me. <laughs> Come on. Oh, there's but, nothing unfortunate about a coach-built 1920s or 30s automobile. Well, well the, nothing. The only thing unfortunate about it is we're not doing that anymore. This is true. All right. So, but what has taken the place of that is buying a whatever car, taking it to a high-end shop, and restyling that car to your taste. So, at the end of the day, you do have a one-off car because there's not another one on the planet like it. But yes, it may be titled as a 65 Dodge Dart or a 32 Ford or a a Pinto, whatever. It's still a one-off car. It's just not, you know, you didn't buy the chassis from here and then have the body built here. You just altered drastically what was produced. Right. And I, you know, while we're on this, because I know our listeners are going to be thinking about this and just to throw it out there we don't have to get into discussion on it because who knows where it would lead and we probably don't want to get into anything political but really the biggest reason behind the the fall of the coach builder the you know no longer having those that type of construction of automobiles is truly most of it is our federal safety regulations that go into the automobile industry. It just, it makes it too difficult to do one-off coach built cars because the financial investment into making a body that passes any type of federal safety regulation, you have to build thousands of them to make up for what you put into it. And I understand that. And I think all three of us understand that. It's just kind of the shame that it is lost. It has been lost the way it has. There probably will never be... Well, I shouldn't say there will never be a way to bring it back because I think we may have mentioned in a previous show, or John and I, I know, have at least talked about it, the new bill that was passed where cars can be built production volume can be under a certain number. I don't know if you remember the number, John, and you don't have to pass certain, you don't have to pass the safety regulations. Cause I know like DeLoreans, the, the company that owns what is the name of DeLorean motor company or DeLorean motor cars, whatever they're calling it now is going to reintroduce a DeLorean, but they're keeping it underneath the new number that the federal regulations require. So possibly with that bill, we may see something happen. That that bill has been interpreted and misinterpreted. Um, I'm very familiar. What that bill has allowed the replicar industry, and it's focused on that, is it allows you to produce, and I believe you have to produce. It's fifty or one hundred less than fifty or one hundred cars a year, and you are exempt from. DOT standards, not necessarily EPA standards on it. These are still challenges in getting the cars registered in some states, but they have to be reminiscent of a previously built car. 
So the DeLorean falls in it because it's exactly, it's literally exactly DeLorean Motor Company in Houston, Texas, and I believe they have an office in California. They bought DeLorean Motor Company when it was available in the late 80s and have supplied restoration parts for years, and now they're doing complete cars. If you're going to go out and buy a um, McBurney Ferrari Daytona Spider, like they used in the original Miami Vice, the black convertible, if that car was still produced, it would be able to be sold under that legislation because it's reminiscent of a car produced in the past. The... And so it has to it has to reflect that it takes away we can't just go out and build our own fiberglass one off or metal aluminum whatever material we want to do carbon fiber one off car for the road and let it fall under that legislation it can help but what i see is it you know an you know an easy platform to build off of is the full size trucks you can buy a full size truck that meets all DOT and EPA has your, you know, to do a Forge, you've got your twin turbo V6 in it or your 5-liter Coyote. You do a Chevrolet, you've got an LS motor. You do a Dodge, you got a Cummins or a Hemi in it. And throw the tr- throw the cab away, throw the bed away, throw the hood and fenders away, and build a car on it. It can be registered as whatever that truck is. No, it's not going to stand up in an accident as well, but you can get through that kind of registration problems. Uh, In the last episode, Will kind of said, I needed to rebuild my Isuzu. So John spent five, six, seven hours of the last week in my free time going, well, can I find an Isuzu pup in in decent shape? It's amazing when you actually put Isuzu pickup into eBay and none come back. (laughs) There might be... (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. No, it's kind of sad. <laughs> they're just they're just so popular. That's what it. I, is. I found one on a Craigslist listing somewhere. I didn't do a na- nationwide Craigslist search. I probably could have found a couple, but I found one for a grand that it was custom. It had a plexiglass plexiglass driver's window in it. You know, in looking at that, I came across for like six grand an S10, and it's a common conversion to S10s to take a 40s Chevy uh, 3100 and put that body. There's a kit you can buy to help convert that body, and you take a um, basically an 82 to a 2003, I think it's the final year of the S10, buy a truck, you take the body off, and you drop your 3100 Chevy, and you've got this 1940s truck, and it's registered as a new new S10, even though the newest S10 is 15 years old. So I believe, you know, it could be done, but it goes back to, I think, the resale to taking the risk. And it you're going to put hundreds of thousands of dollars into something that you're not going to be able to sell for a lot. And I said that truck was six or $7,000. I guarantee you to have a running S10 that's worth a dang, you got three or four grand into it. You've got, well, Will proved you could buy a, Chevy like that for under five grand for the body plus the conversion kit plus the labor to do it. So even best case scenario, I got thirty grand into a truck I can sell for six. It's you you've got to be able to be willing to, to love it enough to put the money into it 
and take the loss. But then again, you know, I bought a Hyundai for $23,000 a year ago, and I can get 12 for it today. So what's the difference? You know what my solution to all this is? I'm afraid. You should be. No, not really. Let me hide, let um, me hide, just... hide behind my microphone. <laughs> no, I'm just going to buy early car chassis that don't have bodies anymore and rebody them and build the coach-built body I want. See? There you go. And, don't have to worry about it. In the No Driving Gloves podcast tradition, we start off on a conversation, and Derek has concluded the episode bringing you the No Driving Gloves, Derek's Vintage Car Repair and Customizing Shop located in Bowling Green, Kentucky. See, he's speechless. I wasn't supposed to give the secret. He doesn't know what to say to me. Why did we agree to do this, Will? I think Will... Will doesn't even want to talk anymore. <laughs> he, he He's fuming over the competition we have created for him. Took a bathroom break or something. Hey, I'm back. Yeah, he's back. Did you you need all... to... Yeah, you yeah. need to borrow my power hammer for that? <laughs> if if I need it, I'll 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 drive down and buy. Well, I, I tell you what, you start buying the chassis, you find the customers, and I'll be the coach builder. Well, let me rephrase that: Big Oak Garage and its employees will be the coach builder. Hey, look, we are forming a business plan right here because. I could I could restore the chassis, yep. do everything mechanical on them, get them ready to is ship them down. It'd be just like back in the day when they were done originally. We'd get the chassis ready at one shop, send them off to another to be bodied. That's right. And whatever the chassis you restored, there's our serial numbers, there's our VIN numbers, there's what it will be registered as. But you can call it whatever you want to call it. Just the paperwork will be uh, whatever, a peerless. But we'll call it a... You know, whatever. It's kind of like, and and I'm going to give a plug to your good old buddy uh, Scotty D with his uh, Quicksilver Zimmer. Look up, yeah. look up Scotty D and Quicksilver on his YouTube channel, and you will see the most recent, most popular kit car chassis, the Fiero, that is completely rebodied into this. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm forgetting a Neo Classic. With a wedge-shaped pop-up headlamps, and it's about twice as long as a normal Fiero was, but it's kind of the same theory. I think Zimmer Zimmer is the you know the neo one of the more popular neo classics, and they might even still be in existence. And they do cars on a modern chassis. They've been popular for, and they used to take Fox body Mustangs and convert them into these. Cars that look like cars from the 30s and Mercury Cougars and Thunderbirds and with the Quicksilver, the Fiero. So it's kind of what we've just decided to do, except we're going to do it with a little bit older of a vehicle. Zimmercars.com. There you go. Zimmermotorcars.com. Still in business. Can we put an Amazon affiliate link up for that? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> But I think we, we've kind of talked somewhat around this topic, and I'm going to be honest with our listeners. We didn't know what we were going to get into tonight, and I think we've had some humorous conversation. 
we've had some pretty good conversation, and we have a business idea if you would like to invest. That's right. Um, or if you head over to our Patreon page, right? Go to the Patreon page, or if you're actually interested in commissioning a car from uh, Derek's Antique Car and Restoration Rebody Services, go to nodrivinggloves.com and we will get you in touch. And That name is still under review. We're not locking that in yet, uh, just so everybody knows. Well, we'll leave that one there. We're at the... 50-ish minute mark, and never know where I'm going to edit this back down to, but we'll go 50-ish minutes and kind of go to our little bit of a wrap-up. If there's anything anybody wants to plug, you know, I've got, I'm going to go ahead and mention the Barber Vintage Festival coming up this weekend. It's our largest event put on by the museum and the promote track promoter. IndyCar is a little bit larger, but we kind of, you know, hire IndyCar to come in, and they, they run the show. This one we run. We'll have seventy to 80,000 people there with vintage motorcycles, large swamp meat, wall of death, globe of death. Um, it's, it's a very Halloween-esque thing with all the deaths. The Monster Energy stunt show. We have a Ferris wheel. You know, it's, 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 it's family fun for everybody with vintage motorcycle racing on track and our three off-road and motocross, motocross and trials tracks and a lot of who's who. And I think we even in the swap meet, they're going to attempt to build a motorcycle over, over the weekend using only parts out of the swap meet and with a goal of potentially racing it. So if you get a chance, swing, you know, and you're in, in Birmingham or in the area, swing by the barber facilities and check out that event. So, Derek, Will, you got anything coming up in a... Couple of weeks or over. Uh, my next event will be the SEMA show in Las Vegas. Uh, so other than that, I'm gonna be home uh, till till then. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to that. Finishing up some things around my house, trying to make my wife happy, uh, and then uh, off to SEMA. So that's 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 my next month really. Yeah, I don't have anything big coming up. I've got just the normal work work week going on, a little bit of side work like we talked about. Who knows, maybe a lot of side work after the business pitch that went out tonight. <laughs> and uh <laughs> actually have some weekends at home, so hopefully get some garage time in, get things organized, and get some of the uh, work done on the cars that I need to get done. My personal cars. Get done, work done on my personal cars. Sounds like we'll all be busy. And we'll chat with you guys in another week. Talk to you later.